Okay. Hey, good morning. I want to begin by saying welcome to those of you who maybe are checking us out for the first time. Great to have you with us. I um, want to say welcome to those of you who are maybe at the cabin or out of town, getting a chance now to view the service. I'm glad that you were able to make time for this one. It's important. But I want to give a very heartfelt, special um, welcome to those of you who you were really hopeful. You're really hopeful that you're going to be by now joining us for in-person services. Um, I, I'm so glad that you're with us today. And I hope that you feel comfortable and are able to join us for those outdoor services next week. If you can make it and we haven't seen each other for a while, please, please, please come up and say hi. I, I miss you and I'm looking forward to the day when, when we can be together in person. But know that we're going to be here for you and we're going to do the absolute best job we can uh, to, to have these, these messages, not just be communicating information, but hopefully you can hear our heart behind this as, as well. Well, I am excited for today's content. It's, it's, some, it's some challenging, challenging stuff. Um, in fact, uh, I'll give you this disclaimer. If there are kids in the room right now, I'm not making a joke. I'm being serious. Um, I, I would invite you to screen this in advance. Um, please watch this and then make a decision whether or not to, to have the kids watch this because we've had some PG content, PG-13 content so far. Today, it is straight up R-rated. So make sure that you take a look first um, and scan it before you, before you dig in. Well, let, let's, let's get started. On Tuesday... I uh, had a meeting at the Tavern in Roseville. Maybe some of you have been there. And, and uh, it was a great meeting. And as we were walking out, out in the parking lot, there was this big hole. It was a, a man's hole cover size hole. And it wasn't just a great big hole. It was really, really, really deep. Well, fortunately, there was a large construction cone. You, you see the one behind me? It was bigger than that. It was bright orange. It had the reflecting tape, uh, reflective tape on it. It was there as this very visible warning to say, don't drive here or you're going to fall in a really big hole. Well, as we were saying our goodbyes in the parking lot there, all of a sudden there was this boom, this great big boom. And as I turned around, someone was getting out of their SUV and, and they were very stressed and they were very flustered. And they started saying something about, why didn't anyone put out a cone or something to warn me? And I'm like, there was a cone and you drove over it. I didn't actually say that to him, but certainly in my head, I was thinking this. Whether it was deliberate, whether something was distracting her, the warning was clear and the warning was disregarded. Hey, humor me in this. With, with a show of hands, how many of you have heard this, this term before? Inner saboteur. All, right. All hands in this room are, are, are up. Now, whether it's deliberate or whether it's distracted, we often do things that sabotage the life that we want most, like driving over great big pole, holes that are going to damage our nice SUV. And, and one of the things that I've seen happen in my life, in other people's lives, is a lot of times we do those same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And there are so many times where people get later in their lives and they, they, they look at where they are and they think, how did I end up here? Or we, we look at the world we're in and, and the craziness that's going on and we say, how did we get here? Well, often it's because there were warnings that we disregarded or warnings that we were distracted from. And we just kept crashing through one cone after another, after another, after another. If you are just joining us, um, we are in part five of a, of a five-part series where we've been diving deeper into the book of Judges. 
And as I mentioned earlier, several of these texts have been PG-13. Today's we're now towards the end. In fact, at the end of Judges, we are in, in R-rated category. So uh, if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down, this book of Judges. The book of Judges is the dash between Joshua and Ruth. The contrast between Judges and the book that comes before it, Joshua, the book that comes after it, Ruth, it couldn't be any more striking. Here's how the book of Joshua comes to a close with this challenge from Joshua. Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day who you will serve, says Joshua. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people, they replied like this. Okay, yes, we're in. The Lord, God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. That's how the book of Joshua comes to a close, where people have pretty good intentions and they're doing a pretty good job of following those and they're having pretty good outcomes. So that's the end of Joshua. Now as the book of Judges opens, it is not long before they start making bad decisions with bad outcomes. Let me recap where we've been so far in this series. So in the book of Judges, very early, chapters one, chapters two, it starts to describe this cycle that was going on where people were in a basically good place like they were when they left off with Joshua. The people then start, disre start disregarding God's commands. They start crashing through his orange cones and then things go bad. And so they realize this, they cry out to God and God sends a deliverer, a judge to help them out. And then once again, things are going well. Well, what we start to see is not only does this cycle repeat itself, as this cycle repeats itself, things keep getting worse and worse and worse. So you have this downward spiral that just keeps getting badder and badder and badder and badder and badder to the place where you've got Gideon, one of the judges. And Gideon, he creates this golden garment that people start worshiping. And evidently he was okay with that. It gets worse than that. His, his son Abimelech, his son Abimelech sacrificed 70 of his brothers on the same stone on the same day. It gets worse than that. Pastor Jason, last week, took us through this account of, of Jephthah. Oh, man. I, I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom. These things really happen. And can you even go where we went yes, last week? where Jephthah makes this vow he never should have made. He made a vow that whatever comes out of my house, God, if you give me victory, whatever comes to my house, I'm going to sacrifice it. What comes out of his house? His daughter. And it's heart-wrenching. The scripture says she comes out and she's dancing and she has her tambourine. Can you imagine being Jephthah? And then when he says, oh yeah, I've got to sacrifice you. You know what she says? She says, daddy, you know, do what you got to do, but could I at least go away with my friends? And could I mourn the fact that I'll, I'll never be able to get married? Uh, I'll, I'll never be able to have children. Would, would it be okay if I do that, Daddy? Are you kidding me? Okay, get the kids out of the room because this is a word I try never to use with the kids. It's the S word. You ready? What a stupid vow to make! That is not a God-honoring vow and why in the world are you keeping it? Are you kidding me. He thinks that this is the way to go. He think, God wants you to sacrifice your daughter? What in the world? The author, as, as things get worse and worse and worse, it brings us to Judges 17.6. And it says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And look at this phrase. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And how's that working for him? 
How is that working for them? Well, today we're going to look at the last three chapters of the book of Judges. If you brought the Bible with you, please turn with me to Judges 19, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, um, there's a great online resource for you. Go to uversion.com, download the Uversion Bible app. It's an outstanding free resource. All right, here we go. Uh, Judges chapter 19, verse 1. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. And he took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. All right, there's that phrase again, that whole phrase about um, there's, in Israel, there's no king. And from there, it transitions from that line that is a recurring line to something that sounds like the start of a really bad locker room joke. So a Levite and his concubine were on a trip. All right, here's why that opening verse is problematic. Levites, they were the descendants of a tribe of priests and singers and gatekeepers for the, for the holiest place on the planet. And one of the things the Levites were expected to do, get this, was they were expected to be the keepers of God's law and to help people stay in line with that. Well, the keeper of God's laws, he's got a concubine. What's a concubine? A concubine is more than a mistress, but not quite a wife. More than a slave, but not fully free. It is a state that no woman should ever, ever have to be in. And if we can hit pause in the text, I just want to speak to our single ladies for a minute. If there's ever a man who comes into your life and he wants all the perks of marriage without having the integrity and the commitment to you to say, I'll enter into the covenant of marriage with you, run, run. All right, well, let's continue on. Verse 2. And his concubine, it says in verse 2, his concubine was unfaithful to him and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and there were, was there for some four months. All right, uh, let, let's unpack this one here, here too. I, I found some really interesting things as I dug, dug deeper into um, this, this verse. One of the sources I looked at uh, did a deep dive into the original Hebrew language. The word unfaithful, he and other scholars agree on. They say that's not a very accurate translation. The English word harlot is a better translation for that word. And the way that harlot is used in one of my resources in context, it says this, it implies that the Levite might have been trafficking this woman. Okay, well, whatever is happening shouldn't be happening. No matter how you interpret this using the words we have, whatever was happening shouldn't be happening. Well, as their story progresses, she either left him or she fled from him to her father's house. Levite pursues her, convinces father, and it wasn't very hard to get her to come with. The, the scripture doesn't say anything about what she says about this. And then when he got her back under his, you know, whatever, he left home with her. Left for home, I should say, with her. So now let's turn to verses 11 and 12. So we're still in chapter 19. Now we're going to verses 11 and 12. All right. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And the master said to him, we will not turn aside to the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. Okay. Dig into this. The Levite had brought along one of his male servants. And that male servant says, hey, let's spend the night here. This is getting dark. Let's spend the night here in this city, a city that we now call Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem. But at this point in history, Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jebusites, not the Israelites. So the Levite says, hey, we're not going to stay at this Jebusite city. Let's go an extra four miles to Gibeah, where everybody is Jewish, like us, and we'll be welcomed, we'll be safer there. Well, again, Gibeah is only about four miles away. It was one of the cities that was allotted to the Jewish tribe of Benjamin. And as it turns out, they would have been a lot safer in the city of the Jebusites than with their brother Israelites, their own people. Have you ever felt that way around church people? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm actually, I feel safer. I feel more at home with these non-church people. How did we get there? How did we get there? Well, back to the story. They arrive in Gibeah, but no one takes them in. And there they are. They're about to spend the night in the city square when an old man comes in from the fields. He sees them. He says, hey, strangers, what brings you to Gibeah? The Levite says, we are on our way to the house of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Mister, <laughs> I am with this woman who's not my wife. I, I want the perks of marriage, but I'm not willing to commit to her. And by the way, I might even be tracking her, trafficking her. He's all, we're on our way to the house of the Lord being the good religious people that we are, of course. Well, the old man says, um, hey, we need to get you out of the city square. Why don't you come to my house? And what happens next, it follows the template of Sodom and Gomorrah. Only this is worse. A group of men from the city, they surround the house. They begin beating on the door. They wanted to rape the Levite man. Well, the host, that old man who is so gracious, he offers his daughter to the mob. He offers the concubine to the mob. And, and he says this, and I quote, this is, this, these are his words. He says, do with them what seems best to you. That phrase sound familiar? Again, can, can you fathom any of this at all? And as the mob is refusing to just listen, what the Levite does, he physically takes his concubine and he forces her out to the door into this mob who begin abusing her. And, and can, get, I can't even get my head around this, how you could be inside that house listening to those screams and be okay with that. I, I don't understand. The text says that they abused her all night. And as dawn began to break, they let her go. Here's what comes next. Listen to these words. I'm going to... Right out of the text. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of his house, he went out to go on his way. And behold, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house, with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up, let's get going. But there is no answer. He rose up, text says. He went to bed. And look at these other details that's in there. She had crawled to the doorway. It says her hands were right there, right before she died. As horrible as they were to her, this is better than what she's at. Can you even, I, I can't even. Well, she's dead right there in the doorway. And what does he say when he sees her? Get up. Verses 28 to 29. Then he put her on the donkey. And the man rose up. He went away to his home. And when he entered the house, he took a knife and taking hold of his dead concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and he sent her throughout the territory of Israel. When the 12 tribes each got a piece of the, the, this, this woman, they got the Levite's version of the story. 
where he left out the parts that made him look bad. And what did they do? They gathered this huge army and they came you know, to the threshold of the, the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin, they refused to surrender the men that had done these things. And so this is it, it's war. The Israelites send the first wave of soldiers, but it says in, in the scriptures, the men of Benjamin were valiant warriors. And it says they also had 700 lefties who were so good at slinging a stone, they could hit the hair of, of a person or, or an animal and not miss. Well, these Benjamites inflicted massive casualties on that first wave. 22,000 soldiers from the tribe of, Is, of Judah fell, so they fell back. The Israelites then sent a second wave. wave. 18,000 fell, and it says they fell back, and the Israelites wept, and they fasted, and they prayed, and then they set an ambush. And this time, they killed all of the Benjaminites except for 600 who fled to the hills to hide. The Israelites then, having demolished the army, they turned their, their, their attention to the rest of the tribe of, of Benjamin and they slaughtered them all. Men, women, children, everything that breathed, including the animals, they slaughtered it. What was really interesting as I was doing my research, I came across another one of those um, archeology span little tidbits. And it says that archeologists have discovered evidence of a massive destruction level event that happened in Gibeah during this time. It's almost as if these things really happened. Well, when the killing was done, reality set in and the Israelites, now get this, they began to weep. They began to weep, it says. They said, oh, this is terrible. We once had 12 tribes, but now we only have 11. Right, because you just slaughtered them. All the way along, the text, it includes these statements like before the Lord and they inquired of the Lord. They were functioning as somehow God was directing them in this, that somehow this is God approved. I came across this quote in my research. It summarizes it well. It is easier to put God in the wrong than to engage in self-reflection. Isn't that one true and also convicting? One of the things that seemed right to them in their eyes at that time was to make a vow as they're killing all the Benjaminites. Let's make a vow. We are so going to destroy them that we're going to make a vow before God. We're never going to give our women to Benjaminites to be wives. They can, they can never have any of our daughters. Well, now they're grieving because there's only 600 Benjaminites left. They tried to kill them all. 600 got away, but now they're sad that there's only 600 left. And, and now they're really sad, oh, because they'll never have wives because of this vow. And now they'll never be able to repopulate the tribe of, of Benjamin. So now there'll, there'll be one less tribe. So now they come up with another idea that seems right to them at the time. And if I'm reading this right, they turned on people who hadn't tried to kill all the Benjaminites when they killed, tried to kill all of them, except for the eligible women so they, they, they killed now all these people who didn't join them in the killing except for their eligible women so they could take these eligible women and give them to these people who they were also trying to kill. That method doesn't get enough women, so they also did this. Verses 21, or chapter 21, verses 19 to 21. So they said, Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh. And they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Silo come out to dance in the dances, then go out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. There's the end of the narrative. And, and the entire book of Judges ends with this last verse 
in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I invite you to write this down. When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, does it ever end well? Whether you're looking at the time of Judges or you're looking at today's news, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, when we roll right over the cones that keep us from destroying ourselves and others, it doesn't end well. I hope some of you took us up on that challenge to read the ending of Joshua, to read through Judges, and then to read the book of Ruth. If you haven't done that yet, please do. Because you see that this book of Judges is such a stark contrast between what comes before and what comes after. We saw the book of Joshua ends with people making pretty good decisions and experiencing pretty good consequences because under Joshua's leadership, they're not steamrolling over every orange cone. They look to God for guidance. On the other side of this dumpster fire from a train wreck that fell into a cesspool that we call the book of Judges, after that comes the book of Ruth, where we're introduced to Naomi and Ruth who model such faithfulness and such loyalty, the kind of faithfulness and loyalty that God has for us. We're also introduced to an influential man named Boaz. Instead of squeezing every penny of personal profit that he can from his field, he leaves a portion on the sides of his field so that those who don't have land can come and can glean food for their own, food for their own as God instructed him to do. In fact, all of us to do. And when he saw Ruth gleaning in his fields, this vulnerable woman, what did he tell her? He said, don't worry. When you are in our fields, I have instructed my men, they are not to touch you or to touch any of the women here in our, in our, in our fields. How different is that than what we just saw? Judges, as does all of scripture, it testifies to our need for a different kind of leader, a different kind of king than the one we see in Judges. In fact, if you go beyond the book of Judges, it says there was no king. Well, we get plenty of kings in first and second Judges. Jason, how, how well do those kings do? There are very few of those kings that are any better. Some of them are worse than what we see in Judges. On their best days, the best kings in first and second Kings, they, they point to a day when there'll be a descendant, a descendant of Ruth and Boaz, Congratulations, by the way, to the two of you. There'll be a descendant who become a king unlike any other king, who the best of the kings on their best days point to. He was more than a king. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus taught us a better way. There's a place to write this in your notes. The narrow path is a better way. Next week, we're going to pick up right there. We're going to call our next series, Why Church? Because what we're going to do is the best we can with the time we have right out there in the open in those outdoor services to name the past because people who hasn't seen distant and recent past of, of church and how dysfunctional it's become, let's contrast that with the vision that Jesus cast and the people he's calling us to be, a community that is truly, authentically looking to him as king. In the early church, in Jesus, they found a living hope. It was hard, it was messy, but their community looked a lot less like Judges and a lot more like Joshua or a lot more like Ruth, a lot more like a community that Jesus invited them into. And when most people think of church, what do they think of? What do they see? They see Judges. Churches shouldn't be the thing that keeps people from Christ. It should be among the most compelling evidence there is that he is the way, that his way is a better way. 
Right around the time I heard that big boom in the tavern parking lot, the person that I was talking to was talking about how she's seeing so much deconstruction right now. People are deconstructing things about the church, including the things that are keeping you from falling into pits. When you experience authentic Christianity, you don't want to deconstruct the authentic thing. You want to join Jesus in building it. Last Saturday, Laura and I, we were leaving a grad party and this huge truck drives by and the driver yells, hey, Chris, hey, Laura. And out steps somebody who went to our youth group back when I was at my last church and he's not a kid anymore. In fact, now he owns this whole construction company. And he said, hey, Chris, remember how you brought us down to, to Mexico? I heard about the fire. And right now what I'm doing, I'm paying my crew and we're gonna go down to Juarez. We're gonna be part of helping them rebuild. This is what we do. We don't just look after ourselves. Looking after yourselves, what is that? That's judges. Probably should point to my thing. That's judges. We wanna be more like Jesus. But the young man, he didn't stop there when we were talking. He also told me about his buddy. He said his buddy also attended youth group back at our old church. And what he experienced there impacted him so deeply that he's been seeking a church that shares his passion and shares his vision to build something like he experienced. He's been at that for searching for 15 to 20 years. And he's still searching. The culture that he's finding in most churches is more like judges than it is like Jesus. Well, that very same day that I'm having that conversation with that guy from my former youth group, the very same day, possibly at that same moment that I'm having that conversation, members of our team and a number of our teens, they were experiencing a youth event called One Big Day where hundreds of teens came together and there was lots of fun and laughter. Songs were selected with intent and executed with excellence. And a gifted speaker gave a carefully crafted message, one that keeps getting better and better and better every time he gives it to a different group of teens. And the hope for that event is that it wasn't a standalone one-time hype fest, but that it was part of an overall discipleship strategy designed to help more kids become more like Jesus in authentic community. Well, Kelsey Crenshaw was there. She's our director of operations. She's also someone who grew up in our youth group. And you know what she said as she was debriefing me about the event? She said, hey, Chris, what they call one big day, we used to call Wednesday. I want to invite you to get creative right there. If you're a person, even a person that, that can't necessarily be here in person, let's do it. We have capacities now here all around. We have capacities we've never had before. Let's build something that 20 years from now is still resonating deeply with the people who experience it. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. When I think of the book of Judges and how everyone did what was right in their own eyes, I think about how people watch media and entertainment. People tend to watch whatever. Whatever is on, whatever is entertaining, whatever others are watching, or whatever seems right in their own eyes. Does that sound like Judges to you? And how does Judges end up? So right after we do that series, Why Church, the next one that's gonna be is called Whatever, where we're gonna look at Jesus has a very different, through, through his spirit, inspired through the, 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 the Apostle Paul, it gives us a very different set of whatevers where we focus on what is true and just and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. And does anyone know the promise associated with that? Philippians 4.9. Then the God of peace will come to you. If you need more peace, 
All right. Well, how did judges end? It ended with brothers and sisters at war with one another. Instead of turning their full focus on a common enemy, they made enemies out of one another. We don't have time for that. What a waste of energy and focus when we have a world in need. So right after whatever series comes that series we've been talking about for about a year, our series on race, on race. I see this happening more and more and more. We are dividing over something that should unite us as a cause. People are dividing into tribes. And the collectives of these different tribes, they're beginning to really entrench themselves in two major positions. Behind me here, I've got two stacks of books. One are these voices that each in a different way represent one major one of these trenches and another the other trench. What if, well, not what if, here's what we're going to do. Beginning on October 24th, we're going to take a table, metaphorically, we're going to take a table, we're going to set it up. All right, tell me when you're ready. All right, so in our first series, when we go back indoors. What we're going to do is we're going to challenge one another to consider instead filling our hearts and our minds with a very different set of whatevers. We're going to focus on this series that we're going to call whatever. And we're going to focus on, on, on setting our minds on that which is true and just and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. Does anyone know the promise associated with that? Philippians 4.9 says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Could anyone use some more peace? Well, after whatever series, the series that we've been talking about is coming up for almost a year, we're going to do the series on race. You know, how did the book of Judges end? It ended with brothers and sisters at war with one another. Instead of turning their full focus on their common enemy, they made enemies out of one another. And I see this happening more and more when it comes to race. Instead of us working together, we're, we're, we're at odds with one another. And what I'm seeing happening here is you have all of these tribes that are starting to assemble. And there's one confederation, you could say, of tribes represented by the, the books there on, on my left and one confederation of tribes by, represented by the books on my right. Here's what we're going to do beginning October 24th. We're going to take a table. We're going to set it up in the middle of a no man's land. And we're going to invite people to come and bring their Bibles and to join us at the table. And, and, and what we're going to do as the trolls yell at us from the trenches, we're going to do the best we can to keep our eyes focused on the work that is before us. And when those in the trenches see us anchoring to the word and listening to one another and learning from one another and laughing and lamenting and praying together and doing the important work, that needs to be done together, maybe, just maybe, some of those trolls in the trenches, they're going to come out and join us too. Well, if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. There is a gap. There is a gap between the vision that Jesus cast and the church that most people see. Most people see a lot more judges than they see Joshua, a lot more judges than they see Ruth, a lot more judges than they see Christ. So here's our invitation to you as we set our sights on the church that God has called us to be. Let's renew our covenant with Christ and let's invite others to experience God with us. The gates of hell will not prevail against a church 
that God is building. So let's explore what does that mean and how do we join him in that work. And let's invite others to join us in the journey. Amen? Amen. No, I, with time, I'm already bumping up.